This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by three amazing people. Super Inframan, Allison Cook, and 36 Dingo. If you want to become a patron or a sponsor, go to wheredidtheroadgo.com. And now our show. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And from the depths of the past, I have Timothy Renner of Strange Familiars. From parts unknown. <laughs> I don't know how long it's been. It's probably been a couple of months, but we'll go with years. It's been years since you've been on this show. So long, so long. When I used to play with Stone Breath, I always have that. They would, uh, you know, we play a show with other bands and stuff. They would announce and they'd say that the guy, the announcer goes like, where are you guys from? It's like parts unknown. <laughs> and from parts unknown, it's Stone Breath. <laughs> so the old wrestling uh, intro. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's been a while though, since you have been on, uh, we should, we should tell people right up front. You've started a second podcast. Yes. An additional, not instead of right. Strange right. familiars is, is the, is the mothership. This is an additional podcast, uh, called the flower path. It's about saints. Uh, it is a very strange familiars take on saints. I would think, I think there, there you know, people will be interested in it, but you know, it is, it is about saints. So if, uh, you know, fair warning going into it. Yeah, it's uh, and and what when you say saints, this these are people the Catholic Church has ordained as saints. Well, um, folk saints, which are okay. not uh, canonized saints, so I, I I haven't done any yet. But the plan is to do folk saints. There are plenty of folk saints which which aren't canonized by the church. There are Orthodox saints from the Orthodox Church, and honestly, I'm going to do um, saints from from Eastern religions as well. It's not oh. going to be I'm I'm Catholic, so you know that's there's going to be plenty of that. But I plan on covering, you know, there are Buddhist saints and, and saints from other Eastern religions and stuff. And I plan on uncovering those two to the best of my ability. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Are, are they, is it, do they actually use the word saint or is it just a, a similar type of thing? Well, in Western literature, they'll be referred to as, as saints. Okay. I don't know if that's just like, you know, it's the Western version you know, of it. Yeah. A person just decided a person in the West decided, well, that's equivalent to a Western saint or if they have a, a similar word that is translated as saint, this is all research I need to do. Mm, okay. How many episodes are out now? Five, five. Okay. Five. And it's, it's a, whenever I can get to it kind of podcast. The first few of them dropped weekly, but that's because I'd worked on it over the whole summer and had a bunch ready to go. And it's just you, it's just me telling stories. So I'll, I'll research a certain saint or a group of saints the most recent one is on the cephalophores, the saints that um, had their heads cut off and supposedly carried their heads afterwards. Some of them walked, you know, two miles with their heads. Some of them uh, prayed, held their head in their hands and prayed. Just, you know, neat stories about people getting their head cut off and, and living afterwards. Huh. I've never heard that. Yeah, fun stuff. Like I said, it's a very strange familiar's take on the subject. And why saints? Um, I I became very interested in them, and I started reading about them. And I have too many books to write, so I I wanted to do something with this information. And I thought oh, I can't write another book at this time. I'm I'm behind. I'm probably like ten books behind what I need to write. So I thought, well, I'll just do another podcast. 
go to about Saint. Okay. All right. And of course, this doesn't take any of your Strange Familiars time. This is an addition. It's an addition to, yes. Yeah. Strange Familiars is still coming out weekly, still the two shows a month for the patrons. That's that's the main thing. And then my hope is, you know, I, I build uh, the flower path up to, to a bigger podcast. But if it stays the way it is, that's fine, too. It's fine if it's just a, a nice little side project. That's I'm, I'm okay with that. Where, where's the name come from? The uh, first saint that we covered is uh, Saint Leonard. And there's an, a sort of an apocryphal story about him. It's, it's, uh, he wasn't in England, but uh, this story, there's a place in England called St. Leonard's Wood where there was supposedly a dragon. And uh, St. Leonard, or maybe perhaps his apparition, perhaps he bilocated to England. Uh, but anyway, St. Leonard was said to have uh, hunted this dragon down and killed it. But he got wounded in the fight. And where the dragon wounded him, bit him presumably, uh, his blood fell onto the ground, and they said everywhere one of the his uh, blood drops hit the ground, a, a white lily grew. So uh, that's the flowered path. You know, as he's walking away, the, the flowers grew up behind him. Nice. Okay. Um, we had actually recorded something the last time I was down there, and then somebody lost it. <laughs> that might have been a woo thing, honestly. Like it was just gone. Like it wasn't there. <laughs> and I, you know, I thought I should grab a copy from Tim. No, it'll be fine. Tim's not going to lose it. I don't know that it was ever there, honestly. Like, I went back to the recorder, and it wasn't there. <laughs> so maybe I didn't hit record. It was cold, right? It was really cold. Uh, it was like, when was it, October-ish? Was it after Albatwitch? No, it was in It was in yeah. April. It was earlier this I year. Thought, yeah, I thought it was in February or March. Maybe, oh, I don't know. I think it was in April. Okay. Because it was the last time I successfully made it down there. Yes. And I, I wanted yeah. to get down before things started growing back, but didn't quite accomplish that. Yeah. Uh, so, because you had said that, you know, it's easier to see some of the stuff at Site 7 when there isn't a lot of foliage. And then. Yeah, I mean, it's you can kind of get it sometimes with with leaves on the trees. But yeah, it's, it's best to go there. Like, for me, February has been the time. I've actually never been up there. I should go up there in, in uh, December. Um, but uh, January and February has been, you know, pretty, pretty solid for going there. I just pulled up one of the pictures I took that day. It was. Uh, why is it not giving me a date? Oh, uh, May May sixth. Yeah, there would. Be, yeah, it's, once April hits here, it's just, just things grow up so much. That's what people are like. You know, I, I want to hike Toad Road. I'm like, the, you know, in the middle of the summer, they'll contact me. I'm like, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's not going to be fun. Didn't you say they're doing something with Toad Road? Uh, it is uh, parts of it, at least, are now a state park. So I can I can go there pretty much anytime I want. I'm not not you know it's hunting season now, so I'm you know kind of staying away during hunting season because i value my life but uh once hunting season is over i can be there pretty much as much as i want but it's not the whole road no but it's it's most of it and did they i mean they they made it a state park did they like put trails or anything in there i mean there's all there was the, the old road is the main trail on that on that part of it so that's still there um and then i mean there's not much that part's kind of a strip along the creek, so right. there's not there's not many more trails they could put in there. They okay. own land on both sides of the creek, um, so I don't know what they're doing on the other side. They could put more trails over there. I'm not sure. Well, I'm I guess sure I, I guess I mean, do they like clean up the trails? Because I know when we walked down through it, it was pretty rough. No, we, we, uh, I went on a hike there um, before the in October, I think, and it was real rough. Like that trail was really rough. They haven't done any trail maintenance. Okay. And right. all the, I think 
not a lot of people know it's been turned into a state park and the, the locals there are happy enough to let people think it's not so that all the no trespassing signs and stuff are still up. But I just I just took a map of the you know, I printed off a map from online, like put it in my dashboard, like, you know, <laughs> almost like a parking permit. Like, no, I know I'm allowed to be here. This is state park land. Interesting. So, yeah. Oh, haven't oh. had anybody give me any go. So. Why, why do you think they did that? There's a group called the Lancaster Conservancy who's doing really wonderful things and they're buying up tons of tons of land and uh, they bought it up. And, and I don't know why they some of their stuff is just managed by the Lancaster Conservancy. But for this, for whatever reason, they made it to I think it's called Riverland State Park. And uh, so I'm happy for it. But they there's they have so much land. They've saved so much in York County. It's a really wonderful organization. I absolutely love them. And uh, I was so happy when I saw they bought it. I was like, yeah, this is incredible. This this is awesome. Cause I've said for years, like make it, make it public. Cause that way people can go there. And then half the people are there just trying to go there because they're curious. Right. Yeah. And they'll go and they'll go there. Most often you'll go there nothing's going to happen. And people, you know, then people come back and like, Oh, I went there nothing happened or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like open it up and people see it. So I'm happy for it. Well, that's, that's kind of awesome. Yeah. And maybe people will have weird experiences there. Who knows? Well, that's the other thing. Some people, I'd put money on that some people will, um, you know, and then I'll have more stories, hopefully. <laughs> um, when I was coming down for Albatwitch and had to abort due to my car, um, one of the things I had hoped we would be able to talk about uh, was Fatima. Mm. Because you had done those two episodes on Fatima. It's not anywhere near as fresh in my mind as it was back in October, but I did want to talk to you a little bit about Fatima. Um, and I, and I think one of the things that stood out to me, uh, well, one of the things that, that, that you said at some point is that a lot of people have just turned it into just like a UFO thing. Yeah. And I hadn't really thought about that because I think Valet was the first one to suggest that this had earmarks of UFO activity Mm -hmm. and that was in, that was in dimensions. And that was kind of suggesting that this is a, like whatever these, these beings are behind the UFO phenomena are also guiding us. Um, like with this control system mm-hmm. and he used Fatima as an example. Well, yeah, you have the moving lights in the sky, which resemble UFOs and all this other stuff that's pushing us toward a specific sort of belief system. But since then I, I didn't realize other people had just kind of thrown that into the UFO pile. Yeah. I mean, I've heard other podcasts and stuff that basically say, oh yeah, that was a UFO event and just dismiss it out of hand. And I mean, it may be, but my point is wh- whether you want to believe the religious aspects or not, what we do, and I say we because I, I, I believe your approach is, is similar to mine. When we talk to witnesses, we don't tell them what they saw. Right. We, we, let, we let them tell us what they saw. And when you sit there and say, oh, no, what they really saw is UFOs, ret- retrospectively, you know, you're reaching back through time and telling them what they saw. And that's not at all what they reported. They reported apparitions of, of figures. Now, again, if you want to believe the religious message or not, that's a totally different thing. But my point is, let's believe the witnesses, and that like, this is what they say they saw, you know. And it, did did the figure ever uh, identify itself as Mary, or did they just put that on her? They it did not for for uh, several divisions, and I, I would have reviewed uh, this myself if I didn't know we were going over it. Uh, I forget how many months of visions there were. So it was the the same day of the month for many months in a row. Like, I'm not sure. I think they started in May and went to October or November, something like that. I could have that wrong. But whatever it was, it was the the same day of the month, um, same time of the day, every month for for a series of months. 
And for a time, they the people were suggesting, you know, anything from they were lying to, you know, this was a demonic manifestation. And I think um, finally the main seer. So there were there were three seers. Uh, Lucia was the main seer, and then there was uh, Jacinta and uh, Francesco, all young young kids. Lucia so, could see the apparitions, hear the apparitions, and speak, speak, have conversations with them, speak back and forth to them. Jacinta could see and hear them, but couldn't, but either could not or did not speak to them. It's unclear. And Francesco could only see them, so he never heard anything. Uh, so the other, the, the girls would have to tell him, you know, what the apparitions said. But at some point, Lucia asked, you know, several months into it, she says, "Who are you?" And she said, "You know, I am." Our Lady of uh, the, the Rosary, or something like this, some, something that indicated she was the Virgin Mary. Hmm. Um, it's really fascinating to me that they all had different variants on this encounter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, like like, and that was consistent, right? Oh, th throughout all the all the yeah. So so Francesco, with all these visions, he never heard a word. He only saw them, which is yeah, it's so like why? You know, like, why is that? Other people would be around. And they would, you know, by the time the you know third month rolls around, you know, word got out. So people would be there at, you know, where they were seeing these apparitions waiting and other people would see like a glowing ball come and, and like approach the tree, but ne not the actual, you know, apparition of, of a figure. You know, um, people would uh, catch uh, smells like like good smell. At one point, the. They, the kids were essentially kidnapped. The the Portugal government at the time was very anti-Catholic, and uh, the like the local uh, official was having none of this, and he kidnapped them. He he for, he heard there were secrets. He's like, you need to tell me the secret, and they, the kids refused. It's a pretty inspiring story how these kids stood up to this guy. I mean, they were little kids, and this guy's literally threatening to boil them in, in water and stuff. Kidnapped them, threw them in jail with adults. Wow. Really? Yeah, really, really. Like, must have been terrifying for these little kids. And they would not give in. And he finally gives up. He realizes, I'm not going to scare these kids. He gives up, but they missed, he kidnapped them. So they missed the apparition that month. And uh, a couple of days later, they're at it, they're in a different place. And here comes this apparition on a different tree. And they were very, it, it always appeared on the same oak tree in, in this, in uh, Lucia's father's um, uh, meadow pasture where they took the sheep they were sheep herders but this time it appeared in a different tree and they were very uh precious about the the tree that was in the meadow they they never like they did and other people came along and clipped branches off and stuff but the, the seers themselves were like no we you know they, they wouldn't take any but for some reason because it appeared in a different tree jacinta took a limb off of this tree and it's it, they said it just emitted this wonderful scent of roses and flowers and stuff and she brought it home and and uh her aunt was was very suspicious of her and, and did not believe this stuff and said what does that smell and she smelled this this branch she's just like well oak trees shouldn't smell like flowers you know shouldn't smell like roses and uh, you know sometime later she went to you know the the pasture and they had a vision and and while they're in ecstasy the the seers are in ecstasy her aunt smells this smell again and that it's that when she hits her that's like oh something else is going on here Something you know, she she begins to believe at that point. Huh. It, did all of the apparitions start with light? Uh, I mean, so yes, uh, actually, a lot of them started with a loud boom or a, or a blast of wind. So here's your UFO crossover stuff, right? Yeah. So there there are absolutely crossover 
with uh, with UFO events. There's even down to at some point, and he doesn't describe it, but Francesco sees a big hairy monster walking around. Really? You know, yeah. He calls it a, a demon from hell or something like that. You know, he calls it a creature from hell. But it's essentially he's describing a you know just this big hairy monster scares the heck out of him. So you know here we have you know these I, you know, whether you want to call it a Bigfoot or a cryptid or whatever, just like you know, but a big hairy thing walking around associated with you know associated with UFO stuff. We have strange lights. We have uh, like I said like loud bangs, you know sounds, drones and sound. I believe there were sounds coming from the earth and stuff. People said, uh, you know, all stuff we've heard with UFO reports. Very, very interesting. I, I like um, I've stolen Brother Richard's take on. He says um, whatever this stuff is, it, it all tends to use the same channels, you know, so it's like you get a lot of the same phenomenon, you know, whether it's UFOs or ghosts or whatever. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. It's, like, it's like they're using the same channels to get through. I think it's a great way to, to describe it. So, yeah, there's a I, I don't blame anyone for for pointing out the similarities between the stuff and the UFO. I just said, like, just yes. But yes. And yes. And what did the seers say they saw? You know, well, that that and a lot of people, when they say UFO, they just mean spacecraft. Right. They mean right. aliens. And, and I don't look at it and say, oh, this seems like aliens. I, I'm looking at it as this is a a very uh, big event with these things inter- able to interact like this, whatever they are. Mm-hmm. And it could yeah, all be, it, it, it could all be the same thing with different faces. It could be different things right. using the same methods. It, it, it There's no way we would know at this point. Right. And, and like, again, I, I'm Catholic. So for me, I'm like, I'm, I'm all in for the Catholic aspect, but I can remove myself from that and say, okay, maybe this is the other in the way that it does, or in the way that we speculate it does reaching into their head and going, seeing what they have to play with. Right. Right. And going, okay, these are Catholic kids. They, they understand this symbolism. This is how I'm going to manifest to them. I can, you know, I can step away from my Catholicism and, and see that. And that, that is certainly a possibility, right? It's certainly a possibility. Uh, that I wouldn't blame people for saying that either, but but just to write it off, it's just oh no, they were just they just saw a UFO. It's like well, okay, hold on, yeah, <laughs> they they saw something like a UFO, but they saw a lot of other things too. Right, right, yeah. There was and there was was there stuff happening to these girls before the apparitions? Lucia saw um, <clears throat> an apparition of an angel before they saw the the multiple times. I think three times before the apparition of the Virgin Mary. And then, and then the last time all three seers saw the angel and it was sort of like, you know, basically preparing them like, like, you know, something bigger is coming kind of thing. And then after that they saw, but she had seen the same, she had seen the angel once and didn't know what it was. She thought it was a ghost. And then when she saw it again, she, she realized like it was like a year later or something when she saw it again and then finally got confirmation whenever it spoke to them and realized what it was. And she, she knew like, Oh, that's what I saw before. Oh yeah. There, there was a lot of details in your, and you did a two part podcast on this. Mm-hmm. Was it yeah. Just two? It was just two, right? Yes. Yeah, just two, but it was, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a deep dive for yes. sure. Way more than I've ever known about Fatima. Cause generally Fatima is taken either as here are the basics or like I said, you know, valet pointed out the connections between this and other anomalous phenomena um, cause I don't, think, yeah, at that point, I don't think valet was looking at this as aliens. And if you, if you just cover like, so the big event is the last one is the, the, the miracle of the sun, they call it, or the dancing sun. That's when it was like 70,000 people were there. <laughs> that's insane. And by far, most of them saw it. Now there were Jewish people there. There were atheists there. There were scientists there. Were, now they didn't see the, the apparition of the Virgin Mary, 
but they saw weird things in the sky and they saw the sky change colors and all this stuff. Um, so we have a mass event there. And if, and if you just talk about that event, it sounds very UFO like, you know, there's a thing in the sky kind of danced around. They said, literally said it looked like a spinning disc. The, you know, the sun turned into this spinning disc. But the sun and was the, still in the sky too, right? Or am I wrong about that? Wasn't whatever they saw seemed to turn into the sun after it was dancing around. Okay. Now, whether this just kind of placed itself in that position. And so it was a very cloudy, rainy day. And then the clouds kind of parted. And then this thing sort of, you know, did its little dance. It did the uh, the falling leaf motion. Right. Associated with UFOs. It and, to- totally did that. And poltergeist events. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, a lot... People were wet from the rain, and when this ended, they were all dry, right? They were all they were all dry, yeah, yeah. And that definitely yeah, so, falls into this flat-out high strangeness type of a thing. Yeah, this it's a very strange event. Again, remove the religion from it if you want. That's that's not. I'm not trying to convert anybody. It's but it's a very strange thing that many, many, many people witnessed. Like a lot of people witnessed this. You can read in the newspapers at the time. People, the you know, newspaper reporters went there expecting like this is how we. We finally get to the, because uh, they were promising, the seers were promising, they said, there's going to be a miracle on this day. This is the big one that, that the apparitions promised. So they were ready for like, let's, we're going to get them now because, you know, we'll know they're lying because this miracle won't happen. And then, bam, this massive thing happens for, for this huge crowd of people. I mean, that's the size of a Super Bowl audience. I guess, yeah, yeah. That's a massive amount of people. Uh, did anyone see nothing? There were a couple of people who claimed that they didn't see anything. The vast majority of the audience saw some saw some phenomena. Now, not all of them reported the same thing, but and then, but there were a few people who said, "No, I didn't see anything." And the, but there were people from other villages who could see this going on from afar. Really? So the idea of of like a mass hypnosis event is kind of eliminated with that because there were people, you know, just you know, farmers in other villages who had no interest in going there you know, could actually see this event happening from afar. Huh. Um, it, I, I think too, a lot of people want to dismiss it because it has religious overtones. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand. Yeah. It's like, I mean, oh, well, that's, that's, that's just nonsense. Cause you know, I don't believe in, you know, Mary. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't, you don't have to, to acknowledge something strange happened. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I, and, and that's what I was. So when I did the show, I actually felt like everything the apparition said, I quoted and a lot of it's very religious, you know, very, very Catholic in nature. But I, my point was, no matter what entity showed themselves in a in a case like this, if this was a you know a gray like a gray alien stepped out of a UFO or whatever, and and actually said something to you, I would quote that too because it's really important. These if these entities, whatever they are, saying things, I want to quote them. You know, right. exactly. So. You know, for, you know, for me, it's it's a it's a wonderful you know sort of uh, event confirming you know some of my beliefs, and and I've felt very close to Mary for for many years, but I totally understand if it's like that's not your path, that's fine. Like I'm not like I said, I'm I'm really not trying to convert anybody. I'm just like that's but let's listen to what the witnesses said, sure, and and what they described. Um, and what what about the prophecies that they left? Was did they ever reveal the third one? Yeah, they did. There's a there's a lot of conspiracies around it because people, I I think people were hoping for it to be this big. You know, here's the date of the end of the world or whatever. You know, let's let's uh, hope they so, give us the date the world ends. That sounds cool. Yeah, it already but, it uh, already ended in 2012. It's fine. Yeah, we're, we're done. <laughs> um, I. 
the uh, you threw me off there. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, no. It's it, the secrets were you know relevant. Uh, well, they predicted World War II. Um, it predicted the death of two of the Sears. Um, not exactly by the date, but it basically said they were going to die young, and they they died from the Spanish flu within a, a few years of the apparitions. Mm. It predicted World War II. And then uh, there's a lot of stuff as regards to the church and communism and stuff. And, and uh, the third secret was basically, you know, for the conversion of the world or something like this. And like, like Russia had to be had to be uh, um, consecrated to Mary or something or, you know, bad things would happen. And then there's an argument with her, like John Pope John Paul II, I think, consecrated the whole world to Mary. And there's an argument over whether that counts or not. So the secrets are. They're interesting, I think, for Catholics, but for non-Catholics, I think it's, they're kind of disappointing. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And why Mary? Uh, that's a good question. Why Mary and why children? I mean, these apparitions happened for, you know, way back into the 1800s and before. But, you know, starting in the 1800s, they seem, she seems to appear to poor children, um, most often girls, in little rural places, you know, not cities most often. There are some exceptions to, to all these. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's why Mary and why children? I mean, the, you know, the Catholic answer is that, you know, she's our mother and she cares about us and she's, she's coming to try to help us. But, um, if you want to remove that, yeah. Why? Now this, this Mary is mother of Jesus, Mary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Right. Not, not the Mary that was, uh, potentially his, his consort. Not Mary Magdalene. No. Okay. I, I am not that, uh, well-versed in this stuff anymore. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is uh you know Mary the Jesus mother. Mary, okay. Yes. Why does she hold such a special place in the Catholic Church? Um, because she said, boy, boy this is you, you're testing my apologetics here. <laughs> because she said yes to the Holy Spirit, she was she was given the option, you know, to okay. uh, to bear this child or not, and and she said yes, and um, you know, bore uh, you know, God in the form of man, as as we believe. Uh, it's a very, very important thing. She was, in order to do this, we believe that she was conceived without original sin. She had to be if she was going to bear God. So she has this very special place in being, you know, the the first uh, human born since Adam and Eve to be conceived without uh, original sin. Uh, so, uh, she, yeah, she holds a very, very special place as an intercessor. In, in the Catholic Church is the, the you know sort of the go between you know always, in in simple terms I always say like you know if you had a really good friend and 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 you knew his mom and you and, you know your friend you wouldn't ask your friend a favor sometimes you might go to his mom and say hey I was wondering you know could you ask Joe if he could help me <laughs> you know um and this I mean we don't have anything in modern day I think that, that approaches the level of how big this event was not with the mass site. Yeah, there are there's an event in Spain in the 1960s that uh, has it's a super high concentration of paranormal phenomena around some seers and a similar you know apparition. Uh, this is not approved by the Catholic Church. Uh, it's it's a Garbandal. It's a town in Spain, and and there's I'm going to do a show on it. The the concentration of paranormal events, including UFOs, um, around this stuff is amazing and the amount of like kind of boxes you can check with the phenomenon that's happening uh, around these seers is is amazing to me I, i've said like 
it makes you know West Virginia during the Mothman years look like nothing. Like what was happening there? Hmm. Okay. Um, and that was also a Mary apparition. Yeah. Yeah. They were. They were. They saw. It's very similar. Very similar. The messages were very similar. Um, but uh, there was no mass sightings with this one. And did it, was, it did it just stop after that big event? Yeah, that was the last one for Fatima. I believe Lucia had a couple more apparitions in her lifetime that just appeared to her. But yeah, it was that was the last one at Fatima. And then, you know, there's been, like I said, there's been a couple, well, there's been more than a couple. There's been a lot of, of uh, people have claimed to see apparitions of Mary since then. But that was the last one at Fatima, the, the Miracle of the Sun. That was the big one. Hmm, okay. Um, there was also, when I was talking to Greg Little, I don't think I, I got to it when I interviewed him, but in his him his and Andrew's latest book, they're talking about apparitions at uh, Z-E-I-T-O-U-N in Egypt. Yeah, we're doing that. I think that'll be the next apparition show we do. We're going to do um and I'm not sure how to pronounce it either, <laughs> but we'll be we'll be doing that one and uh, Knock Ireland. I think is our as our second apparition show, and then after that, hopefully Garbendal. But yeah, that's that one was if if it's the one I'm thinking of, that was at a Coptic church. Yes, so it wasn't at a Catholic church, and they were really open about inviting anybody there to try to debunk it. Uh, it kept appearing multiple times on top of the the church. And they were very much like, yeah, come debunk it, please tell us what it is. And, uh, you know, Muslims were seeing it and, and, you know, Christians and everything else, mass sightings of it. So, yeah, that was that's a really interesting one. And I think that that'll be on the next apparition show whenever we get to that. Probably not to the new year. Um, I'm trying to get looking it up how to pronounce it. And it's just, I want you to, I want you to tell me it's not saying anything. Little speaker. Yeah, I was just going to wait, wait till brother Richard pronounced it. <laughs> 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 Let's see. What about this one? And shortly after no. Oh, wait. Maybe he's going to say where it is. Zaytun. That sounds right. Yeah. We'll go with that. Zaytun. Now we know. So, and, and but he's talking about this too. So, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, he did all the research. Uh, uh, Devereaux. Devereaux and some other guy went looking, and they found that each time these apparitions happened, there was an earthquake within 200 miles of the area. That's super interesting. Yeah. And I had wanted to talk more to Greg about it, but we just didn't have time. And uh, But yeah, like, so there was something that, you know, the speculation is somehow this was partially where the energy was coming from. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like that stuff was caught on video. There's actual video of those apparitions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's pictures, there's video, the whole nine yards, which is not something you had from Fatima just because of the time period. Yeah, there's one like black and white photo of the sun, but you can't tell anything. It's just a cruddy amateur photo, I think, right, you know. Right. Yeah. And that was what, the 19, 19... It was during World War One. So yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. 19 something, 14 or something. Yeah. I, I wanted to say 19 teens, but that didn't, that wasn't a word. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the, the, the ones in Egypt, you know, I'm reading through, you know, the small little segment he had in his book and I had never even heard of them and they were utterly fascinating. And he said that some people would see figures and that, that they resembled Mary and such, and other people would just see lights. And so the same type of thing where people were seeing different things when they looked at it, which, which mm -hmm. makes you wonder how much of that is sort of a, uh, a null thing that our brain needs to put format on right right well it's like the i think you know you, you, we were talking about bigfoot one time and you said like like maybe it's just you know something that's there and and you know you put them the costume of bigfoot on it so to speak right. and then some somebody else might put another costume on it you know yeah it's quite possible like i said you know the 
culture definitely matters with this stuff. Yes, yes. Um, oh, my other question was going to be with Fatima. Was that was there anything during this time period? I mean, it was World War One, but that was particularly uh, stressing out that area of the of that country. Well, um, like I said, I, it was a, a very anti-Catholic government, and like Portugal had been like extremely Catholic for many, many years, and then right before World War One, this this kind of anti-Catholic government takes over. Mm. So there was that was definitely happening. You know, World War One was happening. I think Portugal tried to stay out of it, but Germany declared war on them eventually. So they they had to kind of enter it because they're you know they were going to be a part of it whether they liked it or not. <laughs> right. So that was happening. Some some people from the village you know, some young men from the village, this is a farming village, you know, if you take young men off to war, it's going to hurt, you know, the village. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they were certainly going through that, but, you know, otherwise I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure, you know, it's usually framed, the apparitions are you know, basically framed and just like, it's weird. It's almost dated when you, when you read about how like anti-communist they are, these apparitions. And then, you know, it's today looking back, we, it's like, you know, is communism that big a threat? I don't know. You know, it's a, it doesn't seem like it is anymore. Like, seems like uh, I wouldn't call Russia communist anymore. So, mm. you know, is, is communism this big threat that it was? I, I don't, I don't know. So it's like, you know, what, what were these apparitions trying to say? It's the Garbandal, the one that, that I'm absolutely fascinated with. They made some big predictions regarding that. Uh, some things that are supposed to happen. Uh, there's this supposed to be a warning. And then a miracle and then a chastisement and the warning, at least, if not the warning and the miracle are supposed to happen within the life of one of the seers. Now, she's in her 70s now. Mm. You know, so, you know, what happens if it if it doesn't happen? You know, in, in her life, she's supposed to tell us a week before oh, the okay. warnings. Happen. I, I was going to say, how would we know? Yeah. Well, supposedly everybody, according to her, according to what she says, everybody in the world will know. It won't be a kind of thing. Now, she said, like, if you don't believe, you're not going to do anything with it. But everybody will know. So what does that mean? I have no clue. I have no clue. But she's supposed to announce it a week before it happens. It if is, she dies before that happens, that you know, that, that raises a lot of questions. It 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 is so reminiscent though of like contactee stories of it is. It is you know, abduction story of, of all this different stuff, you know, stuff you get in seances and stuff. It's you know, as as uh, Keel pointed out, it's it seems like it's different different devices used to tune into the same wavelength. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. I, I mean, I cannot argue that for a second. You know, the only thing I can point to is like there are and, and this is like for both sides of it. Right. So so like I said, the, the, the Catholic Church, as far as Garbandal for years, they not only would they not approve it, they were banning priests from going there. They were kind of like anti Garbandal. Now, now that's it's changed over time. They're, they've relaxed that. But now it's a wait and see thing. And so if these predictions never happen, they're never going to approve it. Right, but right. at the same time, people have claimed to have been had miraculous healings there. I've had a pretty amazing thing. I, I had um, so that that apparition they were holding up, um, me, you know, holy medals and stuff for it to kiss, and then distributing these around. And there were some pretty amazing things happened. So the people would bring. Uh, tons of these things like crucifixes and holy medals and wedding rings and all kinds of stuff. They pile them on a table and these seers would go into ecstasy. They'd walk over to the table. They pick something up out of the pile. First of all, they said they sometimes they would pick up tangles of rosaries. They'd hold them up to the apparition to, to kiss. They somehow they would come right untangled and they would walk to these people. Now they're in trance. They'd walk to these people and return them 
and they never failed to return the right one to the right person. Hmm. Not once. Now, they there were piles of these things. First of all, it, even if they saw who put them there, there's no way they could memorize them all. Right. Second of all, they weren't there. They would they they weren't there. These tables would be, you know, people would be putting stuff on the tables before the Sears ever got there. Really, really interesting stuff. But in any case, um, I, I got one of these medals that had been kissed. And the person sent it to me, and I opened up the package. And Allison's in the kitchen. We have a big kitchen. You've been there. Pretty big yeah. room. Yeah. I'm, I'm on one side, and the front door, she's doing dishes. On the other side of the kitchen, I open up the package. Immediately when I open up, Allison says, ooh, roses. The whole room filled up with the scent of roses. And so it just completely took me back. I was like, wow, that is pretty amazing. That is pretty amazing. So... Uh, that was one of the, the medals that, that the apparition, you know, supposedly kissed and garbed. Also, you know, so I've had this, you know, what I feel is this kind of pretty stunning, amazing experience. So what happens if the Catholic Church doesn't approve garbed all? I don't know. <laughs> I don't I only know that something cool happened for me well, with it. And, do, you, do, and you need, do you need their approval? Right. Exactly. I don't. I will treasure that no matter what. Right. And I, I believe their approval just means like, hey, this is. This is good teaching that the church agrees with. If they don't approve it, it doesn't mean like you're not allowed to believe it or it's bad or anything else. You know what I mean? So it's the, the word approval carries some baggage with it. I think that that isn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean bad if it's not approved. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, every once in a while, I struggle with the whole concept of authority. Like, of course, you know, it's, it's, it's like we just, we're, we're born into a system where certain people have authority over us and we're told not to really question that, but you know, and some and sometimes you need someone to have authority. I mean, that's that's an important part of our system, but how they get the authority isn't always, you know. Yeah, no, yeah, I I, I completely understand. I mean, I came up through punk rock and you know right. anarchy and stuff. You know, I completely <laughs> understand that. Absolutely, that's that that uh, inclination towards you know question that and the only it's not even a defense. It's the only thing I could say is like. When I when things are questioned, the answer is consistent, at least. You know, what I mean, if I have a question and, you know, I consider Brother Richard to be basically my spiritual advisor. So I will go to him and I and if I quit and I can ask them the same question 10 times and the, and the answer is the same. Hmm. And to me, that's valuable. It's not like I'm like, uh, you know, well, you know, maybe, but only if this and then that, you know what I mean? Right, it's, right. There's not, uh, you know, but uh, I, I absolutely understand it. And people just like, no, nah, I just can't deal with that or with the dogma. I, I actually completely understand that. Well, it's, it's, uh, not, it's, it's, not, it's a process for me, let me tell you, to, to like this sort of uh, submission to authority. It's it's uh, it's something I have to, to deal with within myself. It's, it's not just that. It's also like with, with science and stuff like that, where it's like, oh, this person's an expert. You have to listen to what they say. And it's like, so we're not allowed to question it, you mm -hmm. know? And then it's like, but this quote expert says the opposite thing. Right. Right. And I have, I, I mean, I have a real problem with, with gurus um, in general. I don't like the concept of a guru. No. Um, one of my favorite documentary movies is Kumari. Have you ever seen it? I don't think so. It's, it's really worth watching. It's, it's a, it's a wonderful movie about a guy who's, you know, he's, he's of Indian descent and he's looking around America. He's like, yeah, people are obsessed with like yoga and, and, you know, all this like, uh, Eastern religion stuff. He, he doesn't have an accent, but he puts on an accent and he you know, grows his beard out and grows his hair long. 
and presents himself as this as this yogi. And, and at first it sounds like it's going to. Well, I think they started out the movie trying to do kind of a Borat thing where they were just going to make fun of people. Mm-hmm. But he gathers these people about him and very quickly he realizes like, oh, I have followers and I have responsibility. And his whole teaching the whole time is you don't need me. You don't need a guru. You don't need me. And at the end, he presents himself. He shaves his beard and and cuts his hair and he comes walking out and he presents himself. And most of his students got it. Um, There was it's it's quite beautiful. Most of them start laughing and and run up and hug him. And he says, I told you, you don't need a guru. I'm nobody. I'm nobody. I told you. And he basically reveals that he was faking the whole time. But the ones that had problem with it were yoga teachers who were invested in having the, the, you know, the Kumari style being taught from this, you know, this teacher from India. And they were very, very invested in, you know, this the, being part of this legacy and stuff, you know, because they they basically they wanted authority from his authority. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. They, and they have. But it's, it's a really beautiful movie in the end because the right people in the movie get it. There's there's people who who really get it, and it's the right people that get the message, and and it ends up being this very very heartfelt movie. But it's it's really a lesson in gurus. And I was mentioning, you know, talking about it with Brother Richard, and and uh, he said uh, there's no gurus here. It's like we're all walking on this path, and we're just trying to help each other. And I, that I really like that approach. Now I don't know if that's just the Franciscans or across the board, but but I. I I liked that answer because I, I do have a, like, I have an issue with gurus. I, I do. I like, eh, don't like that. The, uh, there's a C.S. Lewis quote. Is this it? Uh, nope. Hang on. But I've always really liked, and it kind of talks to that. Um, maybe this is, yeah. So this comes off out of his book, Miracles. This is a society where the simple many obey the few seers can live. A society where all our seers could live, live even more fully but a society where the mass is still simple and the seers are no longer attended to can achieve only superficiality, baseness, uh, ugliness, and in the end, extinction on or back. We must go, but to stay here is death. And I, and I like, you know, the idea of everyone being a seer, everyone being Mm -hmm. able to kind of look inside and, and find their own path, not having to, to go to somebody else and try to emulate their path. Yeah, and we yeah, I've said that. I mean, the way so Stonebreath has an album called Children of Hum, and that comes from a phrase uh, Prevalent, my bandmate, said one time. Uh, so he's his. We have very similar paths, you know. We we grew up Catholic. We kind of stepped away to the whole like pagan thing, and then we we kind of came back around to Catholicism. And his wife asked him one time, she said, well, what what do you like? How do you do all this? Like what like what is your like what are you doing? And he turned to her and he said, some things hum, some things don't hum. I follow the things that hum. Hmm. And it made so much sense to me. I was like, oh, that's so beautiful. What a beautiful way to put it. And I, to that, I add, what hums for me may not hum for you. And that's okay. Yes. Like you, got, you have to follow your hum and I have to follow my hum. I'm never going to like, you know, tell somebody they're going to go to hell or anything like right. that. It's not, it's not my way. Uh, but this, this hums for me. So this is, this is, you know, the hum I am following. And I completely understand if it doesn't hum for me. I absolutely understand that. You know, so uh, that's all, you know, I just sort of, uh, I, I like that aspect. And, and I think we should all follow our own hum, right? Yeah. And sometimes you need people to kind of get you there. But in the end, you shouldn't be, you know, trying to be someone else. Right. Because right. we all do have very different paths. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what made you decide to go back to being Catholic? 
Well, it was it was a, many things, including that uh, that Garbandal medal that came uh, that were pushing me there. I mean, th- there's some things that that I would love to tell the story of, but but they concern uh, my family that I feel are were absolutely miracles mm. um, that happened to me long ago, uh, like 20 years ago, that I never really sort of addressed and. Mary has been a presence in my life one way or another um, since that time, probably before I just didn't realize it. But uh, I, I wanted to like, when I was sort of like, you know, dipping my toe back into Christianity, I thought I wanted to like be into Mary Magdalene. Right. Cause I thought like, she's more rebellious. <laughs> she's the one that, that, uh, you know, was kind of a, associated with a, you know, some kind of deeper mystery schools. And she's, yeah. she's portrayed as, as a wild woman. And when she moves in France, she, she grows hair over her body and stuff like very, really interesting. So I was like, but it's like the Virgin Mary just kept presenting to me in, in like really wonderful situations and wonderful ways. And, and after a while, it was just like a number of these things happened. And, and after a while, it's like, I can't ignore this anymore. I, I can't, I'm not being, I'm not being authentic to myself if I, yeah. if I keep ignoring this. And, and I don't think we get to choose what entities we interact with. Yeah, I'm not, I mean, I was raised this way. If if somebody said, that, "Dude, this is just you know the other presenting through the culture that you know," I'm not going to argue. I'm okay. Like at some point, I I got peace with it. I said, you know, if you want to tell me Mary's a goddess, okay. If you want to tell me Mary was a real person and nothing more, okay. If you want to tell me she's the mother of God, okay. Maybe she's what, a tulpa. It doesn't matter. The only thing I know is it works for me. Right. right? Yes, and so. that's that's the key right there. Like it doesn't matter what these things are; they have an effect on us. Mm-hmm. So you can you can you can define it how you want. You can put it in whatever box you want. You can try and explain it away, but the effect is the real thing. Yeah, I can intellectualize it, but it's not you know it, it's in a, it doesn't get me very far. You know what I mean? It's the, it's better to just sort of uh, you know step back and 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 enjoy the the mystery, honestly. Um, and actually, that was one of the things we had talked about that night was the the. Uh, kind of encouraging good experiences instead of scary ones. Yeah. You yeah. know, it, it seems like, I mean, okay. So the, the average public who aren't really deep into this stuff, they just want to hear scary stories. Right. You know, but the truth is, I think a lot of this stuff wouldn't actually be scary if we weren't, uh, if it wasn't challenging us, if we were more aware of how this stuff works, if that makes sense. It makes total sense. It, make, it makes total sense. And, and I mean, my experience has been absolutely that. And I mean, sometimes it does get scary. Right? I'm out at these places at night, weird stuff's going on. So yeah, sometimes I get scared. It gets scary. But there's a difference when you bring fear to it, right? Yes. Yeah. If you if you bring fear to it, if you go out there thinking the, thinking from the start, I'm scared. This is bad. You know, I'm scared. This is a scary situation. If you're there and something happens and, and things get you know creepy or scary, you know, that's another thing, I think. But but yeah, if you go out there like bringing that to it, I think I think you're going to get a measure of that back. I mean, I've been in those experiences where I feel that oppressive air, um, mm-hmm. like something doesn't want you there. And my response from early on, it, it was almost like I felt like, okay, you're teaching me how to overcome fear. So I'm just going to mm-hmm. sit here. I'm going to wait for that to dissipate. And eventually it would. I mean, I went through months of any time I walked outside, something followed me. Oh, I remember you telling me that. Yeah. 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 And, it was, there was no sound, almost Oz effect like, and something would walk right behind me and it would only happen at night and it only would happen if I was alone. If I was with other people, everything was normal. 
I'd go into my mm-hmm. house, they'd leave, I'd go back outside, dead quiet. Mm-hmm. And it freaked me out. And eventually I just sat down and went, okay, if you're going to do something, do something or stop. Right. And I sat there about 10, 15 minutes and suddenly all the noise just kind of whooshed back in and it never happened again. We were doing, you know, ghost box sessions, SD sessions, and we were getting some some pretty scary stuff every now and then. Like, you know, get out. You're, you're going you're gonna to pay tonight. You know, messages like that. And I was getting a little bit freaked out. And uh, I, again, I mentioned it to Brother Richard, and he's like, don't get freaked out. Ask it why. He Ooh, said, ask it good. why it wants you to leave. Don't leave. Ask it why it wants you to leave. And I was like, and ever since then, it's like completely, like just that little thing just kind of changed my perspective. And now... We, we did one recently in um, uh, POW camp in uh, at well, ex-POW camp in Michelle. Ruins of, P, of a POW camp. I forget what the message was, but it was something intimidating or something that came through. And that was my approach. I was like, like no, like, why, you know, why? Give me a reason, you know? It was, it's pretty neat. So like, like, just the perspective changes where it, it goes from like, oh, it's, you know, it told me to get out to like, well, no, wait, let's shift the perspective and say, well, why do you want me to leave? And that's, you know, that's all it took. And it, it's really kind of changed the way I react to the, when those things come through now as well. And what, 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 what response did you get? Nothing. When I, oh. once I challenged it back, you know, nothing came back. Right. You know, so was it just, first of all, it's a ghost box. Right. So who knows? Right. I have theories as to, as to how they may work, which we probably could get into when, you know, you, you might be interested in that for your, your book about uh, time. Hmm. Uh, but I don't know for that, that that's how they work. I don't know if they work. I, I only know, like, we seem to get, sometimes you get nonsense answers and I think, well, that's nothing there. You know, nothing's happening. This is coincidence stuff, but sometimes you seem to get very pointed answers to the questions. And at that point I think like, okay, something's going on here. Now people have said, oh, that's just you affecting the ghost box. Fine. That's still cool to me. Like, I still think this is super interesting if that's happening. But uh, yeah, so like, so this last time when, when it's, I think it said, because there was this really creepy basement and it was based, it said like, I think it was to the right of us. So it said to, to the right. And I said, okay, I'm looking to the right and said, come down like that. And I was like, nah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and, and it said something else to make it a little more demanding or something. I was like, no, I'm not, that's, I'm not going to do that. Tell me why or something like that. But there was no real, you know, response as to why it's maybe it was just trying to get a rise out of you, which I think a lot of this stuff is. Well, maybe cause that generates energy. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. whatever it is, it, it, may, it might even be mindless, you know, it's just, it knows that they, this, this doing this thing generates more energy from you than then it has more energy to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or is it, or it's trying to draw you in one way or another. And they're like, well, I'm, let me try this, you know? Um, you know, there, there, there's the civil war graveyard in the Ithaca, uh, graveyard There's a little civil war section. And that's where sometimes you would get that oppressive feeling. Mm-hmm. And I would, you know, if, if I was working with someone trying to teach them how to, how to deal with this stuff, I would say, walk through there when that oppressive feeling is there. Like I'm standing right here. You're not in any danger. There's nothing dangerous here. Nothing's going to hurt you, but oh my God, is that feeling strong that you need to leave. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, just walk up and around. And uh, my girlfriend at the time when I was teaching her this, she did that the first time and she got to the end and I was a little concerned because she was almost like in trance. And I'm like, and how do you feel? She goes, exhilarated. Oh, wow. (laughs) Because she just she was able to combat that fear and just do it. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. I mean, that's, that's one of, you know, the point of the fear might be to overcome it, you know? 
to fix it might be to fix yeah. that challenge because a lot of this stuff starts out scary. You know, mm-hmm. um, Streber's initial UFO encounters were were definitely not pleasant. Right. But then as they progress, and that's the same thing you get with shamanic experiences. Those aren't pleasant, happy experiences. They're tearing you down. Mm-hmm. Or I think the phrase is taking your body apart. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, and when you go into this stuff with fear, or if you're stressed out and angry and stuff, and then stuff starts happening around your house, it might be an entity. It might be you unconsciously, but the point is it's drawing that energy from angry energy and fearful right. energy. And so that's what it's going to manifest. Right. Right. And it, I mean, the, the flip side of that is I, I think like we usually have a like if we're at site seven, I always say like it's usually usually everyone agrees when it's time to go. It's not like a thing where like somebody's like, no, I want to stay. Usually everybody's like, nah, I think it's time to go. I think pay attention to those impulses, too. It's yes. not running away. You know, I mean, it's not like we're leaving because we're scared. It's just like everybody's like, ah, no, I think we're done. You know, yes, that that's the exact thing. It's it's a feeling of, oh, we're done. OK. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could stay, and I don't think it would matter. It's just right. The, yeah. Whatever was going on is done. Yeah, you're just standing there from that point on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's take a quick break, and we will be right back. Check out WhereDidTheRoadGo.com. You will find an archive of every show, right back to the very first one that aired January 26, 2013. There's links to all of our social media, Discord, Facebook, the Facebook group, Twitter, YouTube. You can pick up merch at our store that is linked on the page. You can become a Patreon and get extra content every month for as little as $3 a month. You can leave a donation, go through blog entries, and you can contact us. If you have stories you'd like to share for a future listener stories episode, stories at wheredidtheroadgo.com is the place to send them. For general contact, it's contact at wheredidtheroadgo.com. And if you want to mail me something, you can do so at P.O. Box 444, Ovid, New York, 14521. I'd like to take a moment here to thank all of my Patreons, because without you, this show would not be what it is. And I want to give a special shout out to those of you pledging $10 or more. Allison Cook, Super Inframan. 36 Dingo, Chuck Shutters, Leanne Cherry, CJ, Tim, Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Christine, a blue second gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Gayaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Ann Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Lemina, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy and Communicable, Christopher Ernst, Craig Cicernos, Bill Luminati, Craig Parmenter, Diane B, MTK, Eric Todd, Jay, James Lattimore, James Lindsay, Jim Pyre, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L, Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linz Jackson K, Luke Osborne, MJ Armstrong, Jim and Sophie, Mark Brady, Matt in Delaware, Oli Andre Olar, Patricia W., Paul Jeffries, Philosopher of Mirrors, Ray Benedetto, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Stacey Sherwood, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Veroche K., Vincent Trewell, Walker, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Stephen D., Amber Hall, and Craig Sagastumi. I thank all of you for the incredible support. So I'm here with Mr. Timothy Renner of Strange Familiars and uh, now the Flowered Path podcast as well. Yeah. 
And uh, I, I do want to hear, well, okay, so there were a couple things I, I wanted to talk to you about. If, uh, if you're able to stick around for a Patreon episode, we can do uh, there. Yeah, sure. Let's, yeah, let's, let's do this one. This was one of the things we talked about last time I came out to see you, and that is the concept of proof. Uh, and why people care about what the experts think about this stuff. Hmm. So you'll find so often, and I think especially like the current UFO Twitter type of people are all like, oh, look at this, look at this, look at this. But in the end, it's not proof of anything. Right. Like we know from, you know, if you, if you, if you honestly, intellectually honestly look at this stuff, you will realize that there is weird stuff going on. But is there ever going to be a case where a picture or a video proves what that thing is? I don't think so. Um, you have that great picture on the back of your first book. Mm -hmm. And you put it on there. And that, that was one of the things I liked so much about the way you approached the stuff is you're like, I don't know what this is. It's weird. Here's the picture. Yeah, I was almost, I wasn't going to put it on, but I had enough friends who were like, no, 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 put that on there. That's, that's a weird thing that should go on there. Even, even Allison, you know, ever skeptic at that time, way more skeptical than she is now, um, was, uh, yeah, like, yeah, put that on there. That's weird. And, and I think the, the appeal to experts is still that authority thing. Mm -hmm. right, you know? Yeah. It's like, oh, well, we got to get, you know, the scientists to believe us. Why? You right. know, especially when you can't, you know, okay. So like psi and stuff like that, you can do minor studies in the lab. You know, you can put monks on EKG machines and have them go into trance. You know, this stuff you can scientifically approach, but how do you scientifically approach Bigfoot without right. Bigfoot? Yeah. You can't repeat that in a lab. Same with UFO, uh, genuine UFO sightings. I mean, it's so hard to tell what's a genuine UFO sighting anymore because there's so much tech out there. But, you know, there's, there's, you're never going to convince the people who don't believe to believe in this stuff by showing them a blurry picture or, you know, any of this stuff. Exactly. And the better question is, why does anyone care? To me, this stuff is personal. And I, I don't think that people see that when they don't have the experience, when they're looking at it as a singular event. Rather than mm -hmm. looking at it as something that affects their whole life. Yeah, I, I mean, we I did a show recently, a patron show for Strange Familiars, where we talked about dreams, Bigfoot dreams, um, big, what I consider big dreams, right? That that happen to have Bigfoot in them. And I was talking about how, like, in the beginning of the podcast, I didn't want to talk about that, and it wasn't because I was never as flesh and blood as I think you think I was, <laughs> retrospectively. <laughs> I think like even in my first book, I said, I know I lean that way for sure. But even in my first book, I said, there's something weird about this stuff. But but in any case, I was concerned about the reality of it, not so much the flesh and blood reality, but the reality in as much as I wanted people to believe that people were having these experiences. Yeah. And I thought if we start talking about dreams, people are going to go, oh, it's all dreams. You're just saying it's all dreams. So so I really kind of stayed away from it for a long time. Now, I think they're a very important part of it, you know, if not the key to it. Like I was telling somebody today. If I ever write, a, you know, a three-volume uh, universal theory of the paranormal a la Josh's Ecology of Souls, mine's going to be about dreams, not death, because I think they're that important as regards all this. Um, not that death isn't important. I mean, I'm not trying to say, you know, Josh right. is wrong. Or right. this. It's absolutely important, and, and it was a fantastic study. A side note, between the two of us, who would uh, between the two authors of Where the Footprints End, which one would you have bet money on writing a three-volume series about death? <laughs> That's, that's, yeah, fair point. Yeah. I gossed out Josh. <laughs> <laughs> now, on the other but, hand, Josh feels that dreams aren't really important at all. Really? Yeah. He, uh, well, in particular, he doesn't want to hear about people's dreams. Hmm. 
Yeah, he said that one night on the air, and I was like, hey, I do. Because to me, dreams are super important. No, no, I mean, I think I, I'm guilty of having said that in the past. Absolutely. I, I know I've said that in the past, and, and I'm sorry if, ever, if I ever said that to someone because I was wrong. I, I really do believe I'm wrong, and I, I think – I think dreams are a huge part of this. I think that's why we fall asleep, right? Yeah. Wake up and, yeah. and people talk about, you know, I woke up, Bigfoot was staring in the window and I just turned over and went back to sleep. Why is that? <laughs> right. Because it's easy. It's easier to get to your, in your dreams than it is when you're awake, right? Like the other, it's easier for the other to reach you when you're out than well, it is when you're awake. When you're sleeping, it's an altered state of consciousness. And mm -hmm. it is a direct connection to your, uh, to your deeper self. Mm-hmm. So, and if this, this stuff can communicate in a similar manner, or if it communicates through our deeper self in some way, or is a part of our deeper self in some way, then that makes absolute sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we did, we did, I think you were involved with the sleep paralysis stuff we did, right? With the like three or four part series. I, I mean, I've, I've certainly told my sleep paralysis stories on where did the road go before, but I don't know if I was. Okay. I thought, I thought maybe you were, I know Josh was, was involved. I thought maybe you were as well. I, uh, I could have been. We started just doing a, uh, we did a show on the nightmare, which was a sort of pseudo documentary on, on night on sleep paralysis. Mm. Oh yeah. Yeah. And there was a lot and people just started piling in sleep paralysis stories. And some mm -hmm. of them are very, very strange. Yes. You know, yes. And, it, and it seems like it can spread. Like people who don't have sleep paralysis will, you know, get involved with someone who does have sleep paralysis. And the next thing they know, they're having sleep paralysis. Or they I think in, in the way that we talk about big dreams and little dreams, you know, the, the big dreams are meaningful. The little dreams are just, I was just processing the day's stuff. Yeah. I think there's big and little sleep paralysis. Honestly. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I think scientists have it right sometimes. It's just, you know, part of our brain not fully waking up and we don't have control, but it's sort of conscious and you still have the mm -hmm. dream imagery and then it gets scary because you're like, what the hell's going on? Right. But, well, being paralyzed itself is scary. Yes. Yeah. But, that's when, but then when you have it like connected to other things or you have two people yep. sharing sleep paralysis, there's something more going on there. Yeah. Or when people wake up and, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, something... um you know, was sitting on their bed and they wake up and there's an impression on their pillow or something yes. still after they wake up, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely something to sleep paralysis. I mean, there's, it's connected to this in some way. There's too many, too many witnesses I have on the show. It's one of the standard questions I ask ever have sleep paralysis. Oh yeah. Like yep. a huge percentage of them. Now someone else told me like, Oh, well, a huge percentage of people in general have sleep paralysis, so you can't make anything of that. But I don't know. It seems to be like a massive amount of paranormal witnesses it's also have sleep paralysis. It's, whether un it's, it's unusual for a paranormal witness not to have sleep paralysis. Right. Exactly. Yes. Um, you know, and sometimes stuff happens. You just don't even know where to put it. Like I had woken up the other day. And I'm laying there trying to get back to sleep. I'm not asleep. And in one ear, just like my right ear, I basically hear a Wilhelm scream. Oh, okay. And, and like it startled me. And then I went, that was probably just in my head. I have no idea why it was in my head. But like, did something do something that, that my brain just interpreted as a Wilhelm scream? Was it just that I'm trying to get to sleep? Like, what? why? Because it was almost comical. It sounded like somebody falling down. And they just yeah. yelled. And I was like, and it startled me because I was like, what? Okay, that wasn't real. But we don't have control over that stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's just a sort of like brain hallucination because it's, you know, trying to go between states or if it's something I interacted with. Because I think something else happened after that. And I don't remember what it was. But none of it was like something where I'd say, 
oh, this was really weird as much as just like, well, why, you know? Now, when I got, when I, when I got woken up with a shriek, uh, scream and a, sh- and a bang or a shriek and a bang, um, and the dog started barking at something, it was like, okay, that's weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that, that almost seems like the dog heard it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, dreams, dreams have always been such an important part of my life. And there are people who don't remember any of their dreams. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I go through fits and starts where some, there'll be just months where I'll either remember snippets or, or very little. And then I'll have times where, you know, I remember a good bit. It's definitely better if I'm actually actively recording them. Yes. Which uh, yeah. I'm not great about. I should, I should be better about that. But because uh, it's definitely interesting. Dream journals, like. I was reading back when I was doing that show with, with Octavian for the Strange Familiars patrons. I was reading back through my dream journal. I was like, oh, man, there's some really cool stuff in here. <laughs> I know, I right? Completely forgotten. And sometimes it's cool concepts. Like, I've turned stuff into stories mm-hmm. that came from dreams because it's like, wow, that's almost a story right there. Yeah. Uh, and I've posted some of them, and, and it's just, I don't know, because it didn't come out of me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yet it kind of did. Mm-hmm. And the number of prophetic dreams I've had, or dreams that aren't even prophetic, but that that I'm given specific information in, I don't I don't know what that is. I don't know where that's coming from. It seems like something else giving me the information, but again, it's it's hard to tell where self stops if self stops. Yeah, yeah. there's a deep iceberg, right? <laughs> you know. But like when it's when it's a little thing, it's kind of like. Oh, I dreamed about this yesterday and now it happened today, but it's not consequential to anything. Right. Well, you have talked to so many people like that, though. So many people who've had like dreams like that. And like they get this intense deja vu and then, you know, nothing of consequence happened. Chad has one of the coolest stories of it. He was telling me. He said he was driving with his cousin uh, when they were just driving down the road in the car. And and Chad said he just got this feel, this overwhelming feeling of familiarity. And he's like, we've been here before. We've done this before. And he said, I need to stop right now. And he jammed on his brakes, like just, you know, this hard stop. And he said, right as he did that, an owl flew across the front of his car and up the windshield, like didn't hit it, but just glided like right across the front of the car and up the windshield in a way. Like, that's all it was. That's all yeah. that happened. But but he said it was this absolute moment of deja vu. Like and I was like, oh, that's that is a cool story. But not only that, but it probably had an, a, a deeper effect on him. Yeah, I'm sure it did. Um, and and how would how would your your theory of dreams connecting everything in the paranormal go? I don't know. I haven't thought it out that far okay. yet. <laughs> but I know. I mean, so I know. This is like Bigfoot people have Bigfoot dreams, right. you know, uh, lots of people have have alien and UFO dreams. I've, I've had both, you know, um, I've dreamed of ghosts, you know, so it, it just feels like it's all a part of it, how it's tied in. But, yeah, I, I don't I haven't like sat down to make the connection. It's just one of those deep feelings that I have like, no, 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 this is part of it. This is part of it, but you know, I haven't you know thought out how what that path would look like or, or what that book okay. would look like at all. Okay. Yeah, but they they are, and you know, in our culture, dreams are just tossed out. They don't mean anything. They're nonsense. Mm-hmm. You know, they're it's, yeah, yeah. It's like I think we're you know there are most traditional uh, native cultures and stuff understand that dreams are important, and and some of them, I think it's the Aboriginals, don't they think that this is more the the unreal than than dreams are? I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is sort of consensual reality. We're, we're all sharing right. this one. Right. 
And I, I mean, and you can share dreams with people too. That's the other thing. Yes. Those are fascinating. That was that, um, what was that book? I had the author on it. It was called nightmare land or something. Ooh. He had a bunch of stories about pe- like people sharing dreams. Really interesting. Really interesting. I, w- I am not familiar with that. Yes. He, he's a, he does something with coast to coast, but he wrote a book. I think it's called nightmare land. Hmm. Okay. Good book. Was it all bad dreams? No, no, no. It was, it was everything from like, it was just all like weird dream stuff, like lucid dreaming stuff, sleep paralysis stuff, you know, um, uh, but like shared dreams and, and just, you know, like, like the whole uh, dream kind of thing, you know, like he covered like everything. So, yeah, it wasn't all bad, bad dreams, but it was, I think, you know, that was the hook calling the book Nightmare Land. You know? Gotcha. It's, it's also interesting how quickly dreams can fade. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's fascinating to me because we, I mean, sure, we can forget anything, but like dreams in particular are clearly happening in a state of mind that is not fully compatible with our waking state. Right. You know, so like we wake up and we're like, and sometimes we don't remember anything or you, you were, you remember you were having a cool dream, but you have no idea what it was. Mm-hmm. And that, that's frustrating. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> or, or you, you go, oh man, I was having this cool dream and I, I can't remember it. And then you remember it and go, oh, that wasn't really cool. <laughs> that was that was kind of boring but i think it's saying about the dream state whatever the dream state is yeah there's uh and, and again with with our materialistic view on this stuff it's like oh well we can we can do an ekg and see what happens when you dream and that explains it except it doesn't yeah it tells you what your physical body's doing but yeah and that's that's about it mm-hmm. um i don't know it's they are they are something i think more people should pay attention to yeah and definitely record so when uh, we did a, a show a while back on like you know the, the whole airship flap at the end of the 1800s, and uh, there was a one of these guys, these you know entities, whatever it was, human, whatever it was, got out of the airship and one of these people talked to him, and his name was August de Falmouth, and it was one of those who was it that would, was talked about like the the UFO the UFOnauts always had those like odd names like that like you know, it's all, it's almost like August Falmouth, right? The yeah. Falmouth. And uh, I just called it up because I actually knew I had this one on the computer. I looked out the front window of my house. I saw a man in very fancy old-timey dress, a black suit and top hat, 1800 style, who was walking a large Irish wolfhound on a leash. Behind him was a horse-drawn train of carriages and caravans. There were at least five of these carriages, very elaborate and beautifully decorated. I walked outside to get a better look. I could only see in one carriage in which there were two women who were dressed in bluish turquoise turquoise gowns. They had powdered wigs and were dressed more like they came from the 1700s. Very fancy. Sitting opposite them were two men in traditional Middle Eastern type dress. Still very fancy. Turbans, Arabian slippers, embroidered vests, beards, and curled mustaches. Somehow I got the idea they were Turkish. I realized this whole train of caravans was headed to a funeral of some sort. Then things cut to after the funeral, in, a, in that way that dream logic sometimes does. I entered one of the caravans and was surprised that it seemed larger on the inside than I would have thought. Not unreasonably large, just more like, wow, this is bigger than I thought it would be. At the other end of the caravan was August de Falmouth and an unnamed woman, both dressed again in very fancy old-timey clothes. He didn't introduce himself, I just knew it was him. Between us on the floor of the caravan was a coffin. I got the impression that this was a ritual piece and not the coffin that, that the subject of the funeral was in. It may not have been the same ritual coffin we have, which I sold, by the way, but we used to have a ritual coffin. But in far better condition, on top of this coffin was a silver cooling board that itself was coffin-shaped, etched, and very beautiful. It was sitting on top of the coffin, 
but turned the opposite direction. So the wide end of the cooling board was at the thinner foot end of the coffin. August stood up and gestured to the coffin board, kind of waving his hand over it. And he said, one turn on a slab. And that was the end. I was there for him and he for me, at which point I woke up. Ah, so th- did this guy also see an airship? He he was just the name was the, the, the guy that came out of the airship, you know, one of the stories. So oh, I knew nothing okay. about what he looked like, you know, but I love the name. I was just like, I was like, oh, man, I wish like I, was, I said, if I didn't already write books under Timothy Renner, I would have just started writing books under August of Falmouth. So <laughs> but but like this was a, you know, now two things like number one I, I immediately had the feeling like this is a not just a big dream this is a huge dream whatever this is this yeah is oh like yeah huge the other thing is though like until i read that now the only thing i remembered was that i met august de falmouth and there was a coffin right so all that detail was gone in my head until i reread it huh. it yeah which is why we write them down right yes. <laughs> yeah, all, yeah, yeah. All, that was an incredible amount of detail all of it was gone i didn't remember anything about the the, the caravan and the the people in Turkish dressed, all that. Not none of that that I remember. And and there there's like some deep uh there's some deep stuff going on there. Mm-hmm. And that is that is what our <laughs> what it's the the language of symbols. Yeah, yeah. And I love it when I always love it when when again like, like when we were talking about Fatima when, when these entities speak. I always love it and the fact that I remembered what he said. Like I like I remember waking up. It's like I have to write that down. One turn on the slab, and that was the end. I was there for him, and he for me. I was like, "Oh, that's just, whatever that is." I need to write that down. So it was really cool. I, I was really like now exactly what it means. I'm not sure, but it was a super like I know I woke up just in a state of like, "Oh, that was important." <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. And sometimes I'll I make the mistake of going, "Oh, that was I should write that down." I'll do it when I wake up. Yeah, and then you go back to sleep, gone. and it's gone. Yeah, it's gone. Yeah, yeah. No, but it was really. What was it? It was really good. Sometimes you, sometimes you can catch the thread. You'll, you'll pick up one piece of it, and it'll start to kind of open up a little bit. But it's never quite the same. No, no, yeah. I, I, I used to keep a book. I should probably start doing it again. Right by the bed, and I, if I'd wake up in the middle of the night, I'd write it down. Then I would take the time, like, no, write it down. At least get the details. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'd wake up in the morning, like, what's that word? <laughs> you know. But for the most part, you get the details down. <laughs> yeah, I did that for a long time, and now, now I just use the voice to text on my phone and still go, what? Yeah, yeah. Because I'm a lot of people, yeah. I'm, I'm sleepily talking into the phone, which doesn't right. get a hundred percent of the stuff. Even if you're clear and and enunciating perfectly, it'll still sometimes get a different word in there, and I'll read it back and go, I don't even know what this means anymore. Allison's a very light sleeper. I can see her like waking up like, what are you talking? What are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Better if I just write it down. Yeah, but I I would I would do the same thing. I'd scribble it down and then I'd look at be like, what is that word? Yeah. I have, I have numerous entries in my in my journals where it's like I wrote down the dream and I, and all I have is this is what I wrote and it'll be a selection of words and I have no memory of what they meant. Yeah, yeah. But Do yeah. you ever have recurring dreams? Yes. Yeah, and it's usually things I need to deal with in some some form. Mm. Um, and then when I figure it out, they stop. Interesting. And sometimes I have it, a recurring dream about an, it's an, it's an, it. It seems like a like a school that's underground like a like a high school or or a community college or something but it, i don't think it was always that it seems like it was like maybe some kind of government building that they turned into like a high school but now it's abandoned and i i go there like i've gone there so many times in dreams i would recognize the place like the roads that kind of oh yeah it's, yeah it's, i would recognize the if i was ever on the roads i'd be like this is it this is the place i've gone there so many times yep and it's 
it's abandoned. It's not scary. It's all it's abandoned. The lights work down there. You know, it's like you climb down, basically climb down into it, and then you can turn the lights on. And it's like there's nothing like particularly scary about it. It's just odd. You know, it's just it's just weird. But I've been there. I don't know how many times. Like as as an adult, I had recurring dreams when I was a kid, but they were more like weirder stuff. But this is as an adult, I have a recurring dream that's over and over again. Once a year or so, I'll have a dream about this place. I, I don't know if I, I would count what I have as recurring dreams, but there are locations that will pop up regularly. Like uh, the, the favorite one I have is a waterfall that does not exist. And I in the dream, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I want to go show this person the waterfall. And sometimes I have a hard time getting to it. Sometimes I get to it right away. And I always wake up and be like, oh, man, that waterfall is amazing. Why can't that be real? Mm-hmm. Or, I ha- or I have a recurring dream. There's the waterfall. There's... A house I live in that I've never lived in, but it's always consistently the same. Uh, and what was the other one? The other one? Oh, and there's a graveyard. There's this really beautiful graveyard, and uh, it does not exist. Hmm. Are you sure it doesn't exist? No, no. Um, <laughs> but uh, it would be really cool if it did, and I could find it. Same with the waterfall. Yeah, right? That would be like... I think the higher likelihood that that waterfall or the graveyard might exist than my underground institution, <laughs> whatever it is. I don't know. There's some underground abandoned places. Yeah. It would be cool. Like I, like I said, I, I wouldn't know it. I've been there so many times. I wouldn't know it. It's, it's on a slight hill. It's, it's surrounded by trees. There's a road that goes near it, but not to it. I wouldn't know it. Like I would totally know it. We'll just put it out there to people to figure out where that is. Yeah. Maybe somebody will have an idea. <laughs> uh, all right. We're out of time, but we'll do a Patreon segment. And uh, thank you, Tim. Where can people find all of your stuff? Strangefamiliars.com. All the links go to me. There's links to my books and the Etsy shop and everything else. And then uh, if if you don't mind, uh, you know, doing the whole like, subscribe, follow a thing for the flowered path, that would help us out a lot. Ah. Just getting started with that one. Yes, absolutely. All right. Thank you. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. Tim and I continue this conversation on a Patreon-only segment, as usual. And, uh... Yeah, we get into a lot of different stuff. So if you want to become a patron, it's only $3 a month. And it helps us continue making this content for you. And you can become a patron just by going to wheredidtheroadgo.com. And there's a big link that says Patreon. You could also give a one-time donation and uh, check out all our social media and everything else. It's all at wheredtheroadgo.com. All right. Um, we're going to end with some Devo Spice. I played a track of his around Halloween And uh, I realized I should play the Christmas songs. So he has two of them. I'm going to play one this week, which is called Lean Christmas. And uh, that seems appropriate, I think, for this year for most people. And if you like it, devospice.com is his website. And we also just had him do a live performance in our performance studio for the last exit for The Lost. And if you like metal and heavier music, Check that out, thelastexit.org. Of course, this is not metal or heavy at all. It's comedy music, comedy rap to be exact. And uh, we play some of that too. We're very eclectic. Anyway, um, Lean Christmas, Devo Spice. I'll see you next time. I hope we don't miss this My kids have half a Walmart on their wish list But I'm left broke so I scrape and I scrounge all around Hey now, found a quarter in the couch Alright, book of matches for mommy 
Things are pretty lean this year And I fear that there may be a real lack of holiday cheer Unless I come into some money Like if I won the lottery or joined a blood bank And dug into an artery Cause right now I just haven't got a dime Out of work, out of money, and I'm running out of time And I don't know what to do, man Haven't got a plan the way it's going Our house will be as festive as I ran Most people shop at Toys R Us or at the mall I'm at the dollar store and can't afford nothing at all I dig deep into my pocket to see what I can find Excuse me, what can I get for two buttons and a piece of twine? Hey, there's a toy car with some dents And only three wheels, but it's marked down to ten cents Now if only I had that much money, I'd be set Guess it's time to raid the fountain to see what I can get Hey, this is Christmas, I hope we don't miss this My kids have half a Walmart on their wish list But I'm flat broke, so I scrape and I scrounge all around Hey, now, found a dime in the couch Cool now I can get my daughter that gumball she's been wanting. Maybe this won't be so bad after all. I just need to get creative when I deck the hall. Like instead of a tree, I'll use that broom over there. And hang some pantyhose by the chimney with care. Outdoor decorations won't be hard. I'll tie a branch on my dog and make him stand in the yard. Poison ivy works as well as mistletoe can. And for dinner, we're gonna have a big old ham. Sandwich that will have to split five ways. Then it's gonna have to last for a couple of days. And the trimmings, yeah, we're gonna have all of them. Popcorn balls, potato chips, and M&Ms. I can't afford eggnog or any other perk, but I found a little three-month-old milk that ought to work. And I think I still have a fruitcake from last year around here somewhere. Merry Christmas, dear. Hey, this is Christmas. I hope we don't miss this. My kids have half a Walmart on their wish list, but I'm flat broke, so I scrape and I scrounge all around. Hey, now, found a nickel in the couch. This is going right to Grandma and Grandpa. I'll tell them to go to the casino and play the nickel slots. Maybe they'll win a dollar. But then my kid comes to me with a list. And I think that there's no way in hell I can afford any of this. I say, I'm sorry, but I'm broke. There's no way that I can swing it. And she says, that's okay, Daddy. Santa Claus will bring it. And I feel my confidence rebound. And no, there's no way in hell I'm going to let my kids down. Because children and family are what it's all about. And besides, what's one more mortgage on the house? Paperwork filed, rates locked in. 47 signatures later I begin When I'm done shopping I'll be paying an amount For around 30 years So I better make it count For the girl A life-size walking dollhouse With a robot mate And a butler named Klaus For the boy I'll get him a race car bed One that actually drives And has cool tire tread For the baby I'll get him this big pneumatic Type swing thing with toys The neglectomatic And the wife What woman could ask for anymore She likes shoes so much Now she owns the damn store For me Maybe I can finally get that private jet nah maybe i'll just get a vet i'm up to my pancreas of debt but hey what can i say it's the american way hey this is christmas i hope we don't miss this my kids have half a walmart on their wish list but i'm flat broke so i scrape and i scrounge all around hey now found a penny in the couch okay i can put this on the train tracks and let a train run over it and give it to my son then he can have his own mutant squished portrait of lincoln or something you have been listening to Where Did the Road Go? This show is made possible in part from our Patreons, and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange. You can always find everything Where Did the Road Go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And thank you so much for your support.